What's Shaken Parkinson's podcast, where we explore information to learn about and to offer you a bi-weekly insight into the world of Parkinson's disease. Thanks for joining. What's Shaking Parkinson's Podcast, Episode 2. Welcome, everybody. I'm Frank. I'm Hal. And we are pleased today to offer you uh, our first interview with a uh, with someone in the neurological field, a diagnostician that Hal will uh, give an interview, uh, an introduction to. Uh, one note about how we're uh, formatting our podcast um, we're basically breaking things into three sections, so to speak, um, where we look initially at a medical diagnosis and a background of the disease itself, and then kind of a segue into uh, treating and caring for the body and mind, uh, and then uh, that will transition into more of a uh, life-adjusting uh, perspective. Uh, and in each of these, obviously, there's areas where everything is going to overlap, um, but we will try to make this as smooth of a transition as possible. Uh, so Dr. Cook is uh, Hal's neuro neurologist. Um, been treating him uh, as a second neurologist for uh, for how long now, Hal? Uh, about um, almost two years. Two years. And uh, he uh, a fascinating background, um, which uh, you're going to hear about. Uh, about half of his current patients uh, are Parkinson's. He specializes, obviously, in movement disorders and neurological issues. Uh, another topic that we're going to explore throughout our podcast is going to be uh, what we refer to as the balance of, um, of lifestyle uh, versus uh, genetic uh, link to neurological diseases, Parkinson's specifically. Um, so he will talk a little bit about that with the um, age dependency of it um, and researching and testing for it. Uh, it's definitely heavy on the diagnostic end, and we hope that you'll enjoy this interview. Frank, I'm very excited. We've got a real heavy hitter today. We've got James, Dr. James H. Cook. He's got a degree of Medical College of Pennsylvania, now Drexel University, College of Medicine. He completed an internal medicine um, internship at um, Albert Einstein Medical Center and a neurology residency at Temple University, both in Philadelphia. He's completed his fellowship in movement disorder at Yale University. And I'm very pleased and excited to announce to you that Dr. James H. Cook is here with us. Uh, that's awesome. Hi, Dr. Cook. Dr. Cook, thank you very much. Okay, good to see oh, you, Mel. Thank you, thank you, nice to, nice to see you. Um, basically, um, you're dealing with, with um, Parkinson's from the beginning to, I guess, till, you know, forever till like the end, I guess. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's true. That is true. So, uh, and you know, I'm uh, going through it, as you know, and um, it's, it's like, you know, it's a hard thing. Um, but, you know, it's a good thing when you see some great things happening, you know, and I've got some good things going on. Um, we're curious, like, what's the number of patients you have about? What's up? What's the number, no, number of patients that you have approximately? I don't really know. Probably, 
just in terms of movement of Parkinson's disease patients, probably upwards of 500, I would think. You know, yeah. that's, just, that's just a ballpark estimate. Right. Um, I, but I think that's about it. How many people do you see weekly? Um, probably about 20. Probably about half of the patients that I see are have Parkinson's disease. So yeah, about 20 to 25 patients a week that I see with Parkinson's disease, all stages. Mm-hmm. When do they usually come to you? You mentioned all stages. Um, what gets them to, um, when do they usually start coming in? What stage are they in? Um, it, it all depends on what their circumstances are. I get a substantial number of patients from primary doctors who notice, you know, a tremor or something like that, or a disturbance, and send them on to me. I get a surprising number of referrals from other patients who recommend me to their friends. That's how I came to you. And I get a fair amount of transfers from other institutions. You know, like um, if somebody goes to Jefferson or Penn for a long period of time and then gets disabled enough so that the trip into the city becomes a hardship, then they come to me because I'm out here and I'm much more accessible and there's, it's much less of a hassle getting to me. Yeah, the um, downtown is a pain. And uh, yeah. if you go yeah. in your suburb, which is very nice, I'm very familiar with Abington. Uh, yeah. And we were wondering, um, like when they come to you, and I know you get more faith than you say, what, is there like a prevailing symptom that they have? Something, you know, you can really say, you know, that's, that's Parkinson's or, or they come for something specific? Well, it's a combination of... Basically, it's three, um, three basic symptoms, and you have to have two at the onset. Okay, mm-hmm. first one is bradykinesia. Okay, slow slowing of movement. Right. Over, you know, um, you have to have some sort of rigidity, some sort of stiffness at what they call cogwheeling. Okay, okay. and a third one is tremor. Okay. So you only have to have two out of those three because about 30% of people with Parkinson's disease do not have tremor. Mm-hmm. I didn't, and then now I do. Uh-huh. And it's actually gotten a lot worse in the past, um, I'd say, month. Um, you know, mm-hmm. my legs would tremor a little bit, and now my left leg especially just gives out of control sometimes. It's just a lot harder and quicker. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, are there any, like... Is there any like way that is there, is there like a way that it happens? Kinesia, gait, right. things like. That. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that comes out early on is um, what they call REM behavior disorder. This acting out of dreams, yelling and thrashing around at night. I don't yeah. know if you, I don't know if you've ever had that, um, but that's often an early sign that can come come up five, ten years before. Um, the onset of the symptoms. Interesting you say that because I had it many years ago, probably about 10 years ago. And yeah. I haven't had it like very sporadic since then. But, uh, right. Yeah. Um, and I've always heard that it's like 50 50 as far as the cause of it, like half genetic and um, half environmental. You found in your um, you know, findings? Well, you know, usually the younger the onset, the more of a genetic component there mm-hmm. is. You know, there are several well-identified genes 
for Parkinson's disease. They tend to have on, you know, the more common in people with onset in the 30s and 40s. Okay. Um, one person, by the way, who's a carrier of one of the Parkinson's disease um, uh, genes is Sergey Brin, one of the founders of Google. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've heard about him. Yeah. So he's yeah. financing this big research project in trying to see if genetic forms of Parkinson's disease can be treated because of his obvious self-interest right. in that. Is that the PPMI study? What's that? Is that the PPMI study? I think so. It okay, involved yeah, I've, I've, I've actually, um, I'm part of that. Yeah, yeah, I think he has the Parkinson gene. That's what he has. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, you got that, so that's, you know, those are the early pre-motor symptoms. You know, the thing is that they're not really very specific to Parkinson's disease. You know, I mean, lots of people get anxious. Lots of people have social withdrawal. Yeah. A substantial amount of people have loss of sense of smell from a variety of reasons, viruses, most notably COVID, you mm -hmm. know. Um, uh, you know, and there's a subset of people who have run behavior disorder that don't progress to um, Parkinson's disease, although that is a probably the most prominent um, and the most likely precursor of Parkinson's disease or what they call Lewy body disease. Yes. That, that is a very, that, that uh, confers a pretty substantial likelihood that you're going to progress. I know I'm um, Franklin's but I just want to follow up with the Lewy body a little bit. Um, um, that's what, um, I, from what I understand, Robin Williams um, had. That's right. Right. And, you know, I hear it's like, it's awful. Like it's a horrible um, type of Parkinson's because everything just goes real quick. And well, it goes faster than Parkinson's disease, but um, you know it is um, manageable to a certain extent. Uh, you know, people often don't respond. You know, it's a fifty-fifty response to medications. There's a subset of people with Lewy body that can't take any medicine at all that mm -hmm. affects the central nervous system. Even scopolamine can, you know, send them around the bend, you know, something like that. And I've had people land in the hospital using a scopolamine patch for seasickness and it adversely affected them. Um, Is the general, but, general prescribed treatment the same? Um, it depends on the patient. It depends on the patient. There are, we often use um, the same medications. We often use carbidopa levodopa for the motor symptoms. We often use things like um, Exelon, the, the patch, rivastigmine patch for cognitive problems, um, you know, melatonin and things like that for sleep. Um, so, and that often works, but like I say, you got a 50-50 shot. If you've got truly, if you truly have Parkinson's disease, then levodopa always works. Uh -huh. That's a sure shot. Um, my wife actually uh, is um, is being treated by one of your associates, Dr. Harris, for her MS. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Is that right? Okay. All right. And uh, it's been going with them for a few years. She's very happy with them. Had uh, good. It's I, I think her third neurologist. She has uh, been working with during the course. Really. Of her, uh, during, hmm. it's, been, it's been about 25, 25 years or so. Um, so in that time, um, she's just found. 
different reasons. Uh, sometimes it's insurance, uh, insurance yeah. issue, related issues, uh, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I, I, you know, probably the last thing that you want to deal with. And I'm assuming you've got staff to deal with those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. I try and stay away from that as much as I possibly can, <laughs> you know, it's unavoidable, but yeah, yeah. And, and much more of the process today than uh, than it had been at some previous time, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. When you did go into practice, um, or way back when you're in med school, um, when you start looking at specialties, um, why neurology and then was Parkinson's an automatic connection to that or something that came further down after your specialty? Well, really, what it, uh, what it did was it started probably back in my teen years when I was volunteering in my Sunday school and I taught a class of developmentally challenged um, you, know, you know, people in their 50s and 20s and 15, you know, teen years, 20s. And, um, you know, I just found I was fascinated by that. Where, you know. where did you do that? What's that? Where, where did you do that? Um, where did you um, do that with the, um, you know, volunteer? For, or in my church. I, I lived in southeastern Connecticut. Oh, okay, that's what I was wondering, yeah. That's where I grew up. And uh, so I taught this class, and it was, uh, you know, it was pretty fascinating. So, um, you know, after, um, after college, um, I looked around for jobs, and I lived in the Hartford area at that time. So Hartford was the insurance capital of the world, yeah, if you sure. Remember that it's not so yeah. much anymore. Um, but I, you know, applied to all insurance companies because I didn't know what else to do. And there was one lady who interviewed me, who was very perceptive, and she said, "You know, you wouldn't do well here. Um, you should, uh, you should maybe go into human services, something like, uh, you know, nursing or physical therapy or something like that." And then this job popped up um, at a, the local. Um, center for mentally challenged children mm -hmm. and adults you know there are people you know kids all the way from age four or five up to you know people in their 50s sure. and um so i worked there for a year and a half it was really fascinating because it was like sort of a museum of all these rare cognitive conditions mm -hmm. um I, I don't know if you know what uh, pku is uh, it's uh, a yeah. it's a rare birthday. It's what they it's what they stick kids' heels with for to draw blood when they're newborns in the hospital. Okay. It's a, it's an in inability to um, metabolize a ketone, a certain type of ketone in the body. And I had a young man there who was born the year before mandatory PKU testing was initiated in Connecticut. So he had all the, all the symptoms that you read about in a textbook, you know, um, his, all his family was dark hair. He was completely blonde wow. uh, in, in his twenties and um, had seizures and did speak and everything like that, you know, and you don't see that anymore, you know, cause the tests, the kids that they find they have it, they put them on diet immediately and they grow up normal. But this kid was just fed his the normal food that kids ate, and he deteriorated you know, with yeah. that. There was a, also a young boy who had um, had uh, in, intrauterine uh, rubella, you know, blindness and retardation and everything like that. 
You know, there's a bunch of that stuff there. And I just found it fascinating. You know, I didn't know much because, you know, what did I know about medicine and everything like that? But I found it fascinating. Then I after that, I worked in a psychiatric hospital. And, you know, there's all this sort of murky interaction between neurology and psychiatry, yeah. you know, area where it's kind of hard to divide one from the other. Sure. And so I found that totally fascinating as well. You know, and I soaked up a lot because it was a big teaching hospital. So I soaked up a lot of knowledge in that regard. After that, I was the registered nurse. I went to nursing school for a couple of years. And then I got out and did public health. And I saw all these people with strokes and neurological disorders trying to manage in their homes and figuring that whole thing out. You know, and uh, it's amazing who's out there, you know, trying to you know, get by in the world. There was this one one young man that I knew, he was a mute quadriplegic and wow. he lived alone. And he communicated by a, a computer that he somehow ran with his tongue. And what he would do is he would have an aide come in in the morning, feed him, diaper him, all that stuff. An aide come in in the evening, do the same thing. And in the, and in the middle of that, he would go downtown and get arrested in disability rights demonstrations wow for him how about that yeah that, that. So that, that was his life you know eat sleep you uh, know get, get arrested was he in a movie no i don't I, think so. i recall I seeing a movie um something yeah. along those lines yeah it could have been you know for all i know it could have been him what he used to like was um that it took six cops to get him in his motorized wheelchair into the paddock. <laughs> wow. That was his, uh, you know, you know what to the system. Right, know? yeah, exactly. I do know what. You've run the full gamut of treatment of, yeah. you've seen every every level of it. Obviously much has sure. changed. You mentioned, um, you know, the yeah. ability to test for things. Any other, right. uh, we, we talked also about how the insurance uh, time spent on dealing with that uh, as a negative has changed. Um, anything else is specifically in the neurological field that you've seen improvements well, or, or just general changes? Well, um, more treatments, certainly. You know, uh, in, the eight, in the 70s and 80s, neurology, the, the epithet for neurology was diagnose and adios. You know, you could diagnose them, couldn't do a thing for him. So you wrote a little consult and said, so long you deal with it, you know, because, oh. uh, you know, a uh, neurologist uh, that I know um, down at, uh, at Jefferson once said that when he went into practice in the early 1980s, he didn't see a drug rep for the first 10 years he was in practice. And all of a sudden with the decade of the brain, which was 1990s, mm -hmm. there is this total treatment explosion. I mean, stroke is now treatable, sure. um, you know? I mean, stroke was, you know, that, that, was, a, that was rehab, yeah. you know? Do for that, rehab, feeding tubes, wheelchairs, you know? That's mm -hmm. pretty much it. But with TPA, now the tissue plasminogen activator, these clot buster drugs, I mean, you can really, you can cheat death. I've seen people devastated and come back instantaneously like that with to see if their posture has changed, um, if their voice has changed. Very often people get very soft voices. Yeah. Um, I look for problems with manual dexterity, 
you know, difficulty doing, you know, buttons and laces and things like that. There's probably about 30 or 40 different things I ask people with, with these disorders. So that I, by the time I get to that point, you know, after all these questions, I have a pretty good idea usually what's going on with the patient. And also what I have to do is I have to watch people, you know, I cannot be one of these doctors with his face on a computer doing this, you know, I can't do it. I can't type anyway. So it's, <laughs> you know, but, for that. but Hal certainly knows that basically I take notes and watch people. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, you do. And, and, you know, my first diagnosis, um, my the doctor said to me, he had a small little office. He said, go walk to the door and back. And he goes, okay, you have it. Um, come back in, in um, three months and we'll see what we're going to do about it. And I walked out of here saying, what? You know, so I went to Jefferson and I got a doctor who gave me a very thorough evaluation. You know, all the things that you're saying, like 30 things he had, tap your shoes, you know, hand with uh, you yeah. know, my hand. I mean, he, he gave me very thorough. And they said, all right, you do have it. Very beginning stages, but let's get on fighting it right away. Mm-hmm. And uh, this other doctor was just um, very disappointed. And my wife, um, the first doctor she had left was a f- fantastic uh, diagnostician. Um, after that, he wasn't aggressive with treatment, uh, nor was he... Um, had much compassion uh, toward the patient. Uh, so she did find a doctor who was much more compassionate uh, and more aggressive with treatment and put her onto a, uh, a drug that has you know, very fortunately been doing its job for, I guess, mm-hmm. about 12 years now. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just uh, due to, as I said, an insurance snafu uh, required changing one more time. And she loves Dr. Harris. I visited him with her on multiple occasions. Um, I, he- Great. Again, you know, runs through many of the similar things that that you do uh, at reflexes mm. and follow yeah. um, follow your eyes uh, ability mm. to track items and and the walk and the gait. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. There there are probably you know about forty or fifty things, and sometimes I just run through them without being consciously aware. Sure. You know, aware of it, and uh, you know the exam is very important. You know, some people admit, you know, have things that sound like Parkinson's disease. So they talk, if if you talk to them about it, but in fact, on examination, they don't have it, Uh you know? So, and it's important not to give people, you know, it's important to get the right diagnosis because if you don't get the right diagnosis, you might very well give them the wrong medicine. Right, exactly, for the wrong thing. Yeah, I had had a patient diagnosed with, Parkinson's disease, and he had been on medicine for Parkinson's disease for 10 years. And when I saw him, I I thought the diagnosis was clearly erroneous. So I weaned him off all his Parkinson's disease medicine. And he had what we call a central tremor, which is this thing, you know, where you hold your hands out and they shake like that, not Parkinson's disease. So I put him on medicine for a central tremor. And he did great. He felt like he said he felt like a, a wet blanket had been taken off of him. Wow. My brother had that as well. Yeah. That brings up another question I have for you. Um, they're all neuro- neuro- neurological diseases, but um, like there's someone in my family who's got central tremors. Uh-huh. Now, you know, I have the Parkinson's, but I mean, 
does that give you more probability, you know, as far as, um, no? No, mm -mm. it's an entirely different disorder from an entirely different part of the brain. Okay, and the tremor is fundamentally different. Um, every part of the examination is fundamentally different. So, you know, if, um, if you know what you're looking at, um, it's a very straightforward, um, very straightforward diagnosis. My uncle has Parkinson's and his mother, my grandmother had it. And, um, she didn't do too well. My uncle is all, uh, I would say, stiff and everything. And he's, he's in a wheelchair and he's not in good shape at all. Um, but he didn't go, he didn't believe he had it. He didn't listen to his doctors. He was a very stubborn man and he's paying for it today, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, in terms of that, um, it depends on what you do. It, you know, if you, if you see enough Parkinson's disease patients, like I've seen hundreds of Parkinson's disease patients, it is striking how variable the course of the disease is and how it appears. You know, and there's some thought that Parkinson's disease is a cluster of diseases that has similar, um, mm -hmm. similar symptoms, but has a vastly different disease course and um, sort of ancillary symptoms, you know? Um, I've seen people who are in wheelchairs within six or seven years. I've seen people who do very well on a low dose of medicine for 15, 20 years. You know, it's, yeah. it's extremely variable. Yeah, I, I, I found in my um, getting to know people um, through the Parkinson's and then I did a rock steady boxing, um, which is a great program. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you get, you get the whole gamut. I mean, I, I hear stories of people 15, 20 years who had Parkinson's and they're doing well. And I had a good three, four year run. But the past mm -hmm. couple of years have been um, difficult. They just yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is why you're going to address it with a, a more aggressive or, or a different approach. And yeah, I'm, I'm getting the um, deep brain stimulation. We yeah. spoke about it and um, I'm doing it um, in July. It's right around the corner. I'm pretty and we're in, Ju in July, you said? Yes. Yeah, you'll get a note on it. I'm very excited. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah I'm very excited. I think it's going to do wonders for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You'll see. All right. All right. Dr. Cook, we can't thank you enough for your time, for your okay. um, advice, your expertise, and um, I'm sure our listeners will find uh, great value out of what you've added uh, and their families. We, we want our uh, approach to be informational, uh, resourceful, and specifically targeted for people that are newly diagnosed and are just looking for answers. And um, you've certainly you know, given a lot of insight for us. Yeah, we okay. really appreciate your time. I mean, you've been great. Um, we'd like to have you back eventually in the future. Um, yeah. I promise I'll come on time, too. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> sure. maybe after the DBS would be uh, a good time to talk. You know, yeah, that would be good. That would be good. So we, we would like you to be open to that. But thank you very much, Doctor. Have, have a great okay. evening. All right. Let me know when this uh, goes live, okay? Well, yes, good. absolutely. 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 Thank you very much. All right. You take care. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting how you can um, be turned on to different fields by many different ways. Uh, I mean, um, you know, he didn't even study in college medicine. He just um, 
you know, through his church, he got a, he got like a passion for it yeah. and followed his passion. And he's, he's a very well-known, um, you know, neurologist now. Yeah. I, I, if it wasn't for an interviewer who said you shouldn't be selling insurance, <laughs> we may have not had him. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> this is true. Um, uh, so it's a pleasure to have him and, um, hopefully, um, you know, we'll uh, come back and pass another visit. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, very unique. Um, a lot of the things I found interesting with his interview, um, uh, something certainly that hit home with me is the uh, number of uh, new patients he has picked up as a result of his suburban location who don't want to commute urbanly anymore, and, and that hit home because you know, the same thing happened with my wife. Uh, she was driving into town and found someone who could do her infusions right here and went with a local neurologist. You know, um, through my friends at, at um, Rock City Boxing, um, I've noticed uh, that that's very important to people now. It never used to be as much. So you, you had to go down to Center City and see your doctor. Now it's, um, you know, they're all over the place. They have to, um, they have a demand and they, they have to reach a demand. It's all business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And more people have moved into the suburbs, of course, since then as well. As the suburbs grow, there have to be services in the suburbs to take care of people. Yes. Exactly. Um, very heavy on diagnosis. Uh, a couple notes that I um, made point of were how he looks for two of the three symptoms uh, of slowness of movement, stiffness, and tremors yes. um, to, to come into a confirmation, uh, as well as the risk of a wrong diagnosis and, and how he had treated somebody uh, or someone was being treated. Yeah, for 10 years. And um, he changed the treatment and just turned the whole, whole gentleman around. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, that that is, um, I'm sure it happens more often than we realize. I'm sure it does. Um, as well as during that decade where you're experiencing things such as a loss of sense of smell, toe curling and all that, where you really don't know what's wrong. And some people will just ignore that and say, well, you know, I must have had a cold and, and it affected my you know, my uh, olfactory or something. Well, you know, I had toes curling. You probably remember we'd be down the shore, and yeah. I'd say uh, I would like, go in a corner and have pain. Uh, I mean, we're going back over 20 years I've had toe curling. Sure. And um, no way did I relate that to, uh, to what I'm going through now. Yeah, of course. No, no one ever mentioned it to me, and um, so, you know, I, I, I just thought, well, my toes curl, you know. It's one of the other weird things about me. <laughs> but um, interesting enough, it's a sign. Sure. Uh, also found interesting the, and um, not just reinforcing how varied uh, Parkinson's is, um, and the uh, level of of uh, debilitation that people experience, and and how that is more due to a cluster of different diseases than just the same disease that everyone just is affected in a different way from. And that's just one of the many things you were going to learn throughout this whole time, and and you know, doing interviews. We look forward to offering a lot more information from here on out. It, it's exciting. We're going to, I think, learn a lot about this whole uh, disease and different ways of treating it, what people are doing to it, with it, I should say. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's going to be a very good learning experience for us. Sure will. So we'll find out more about what's shaking, everyone. Take care now.
This has been the What's Shaking Parkinson's Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please check us out on Facebook at What's Shaking Parkinson's Podcast. You can also email us at What's Shaking Podcast at protonmail.com. Thank <laughs> you.